Welcome to Eye on the Ball. I'm Tim Everett with my good friend Garrett Ranch, my neighbor, my friend, my fellow church member, and today we're going to talk about the subject of tithing, of stewardship. Now, Garrett is um, an active member of our church. I don't know who gives what to our church, Garrett, but I assume that you're a good <laughs> a good giver and tither. I heard the story about a pastor who got a call from the IRS agent, and he said, is it true that John Smith gave $25,000 to your church last year? And the pastor said, yes, he did, or he will. <laughs> so, so either either you're a good giver, or after today you're going to be. No, no, I'm, that's I'm, what I'm we confident. hope. Right? I'm confident that you're a good giver. So, I want to hear your perspective on tithing. We hear the preacher's perspective, and you know we have um, some skin in that game. So, an unbiased layman's viewpoint. Uh, how do you feel about tithing? Is that just an Old Testament tradition that? No longer continues in light of the New Testament of no. Jesus, or yeah. no, this not absolutely. Um, it's about our heart, you know. For in Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If all your money is in your pocket or your retirement account, then that's where your heart is. Your heart is in your ability to spend that money, or it's in focused on yourself and retirement. And you know, that's one criticism that I have of the the industry that I work in. You know, part of the whole scope of the industry as a whole. Now there's there are Christian examples outside of that, but in the industry as a whole, we're so focused on people's retirement and and saving money for these goals. And I don't think that enough Christians that are in the financial industry focus on the heart of the matter, which is which is helping everybody to plan for maybe more spiritual goals other other than just financial goals like retirement. And retirement by itself is a whole nother topic. But the first thing that I would say about tithing is it it is not only is it necessary for our hearts to be in the right place, um, it is a blessing. The blessing is not that you're going to get more money. The blessing um, isn't that you're, um, you know, a lot of people like to, to throw the verse out there, oh, you, you reap what you sow. And so if you give money to God, you're going to get money back. That, that's that, There's nowhere that that's true. They give their address as to where to give to right. God. Yes. The blessing <laughs> is yeah. the ability to give the tithe, period. Mm-hmm. That That's it. That's where it ends. Yes, that is amen. the blessing. Mm-hmm. When your heart is in the right place, it's a joy to give. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't enjoy giving that you shouldn't. I think it, it, it can be one of these things that, particularly on a tithe, it can start out as something that's almost like a bill to you, where you just you've you've made up your mind that I, I want to follow God's scripture here. I, I want to tithe. It's a struggle for me. Um, I'd rather have the money myself, but I'm going to make that check out anyway. And I think you can start with that, and and you start with that correct behavior, mm-hmm. and what you end up with is you end up with the ability to have a heart change. God uses that to have a change in your heart. And I would, I would say that that's, that's true of me. I mean, as a, as a teenager, you know, first starting to work, um, it was something that my parents instilled in me that, you know, it's important that you tithe. And it was, it was not fun to, you know, go sweat digging holes. Uh, I, I literally moved dirt from one place and moved it over here and then had to turn around and move it back uh, at one point in a construction job. And I'm thankful for that because it taught me some other things. But the, the point is when you work really hard for your money and and you're out there and you're laboring and then you, you, you have that money and you have to write a check or give, give some money to the church because it's what you feel like is right. 
it, it, it it's not going to automatically just be, oh, this is so much fun. You know, um, tithing isn't something that starts out as fun. It ends up that way. I think if you do it long enough and, and you allow God to change your heart, I think it does end up as fun and, and it is a blessing. Um, and more so than tithing is offering. So when you have that ability financially that you can give above your tithe, that you can give offerings to specific things, specific things that you maybe want to see happen at your church or maybe uh, a, a children's hospital that's close to you, uh, whatever the ministry is, you know, orphanage, uh, the Baptist Children's Home or something like that. When you, when you have that ability to give above your tithe, that's when it really gets to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got to be careful because it's, it, there are so many instances where Jesus warns us to not do our giving in public. That it that it needs to be something that 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 is private, and I applaud you for not knowing whether or not I tithe. I mean, I think that's great, <laughs> you know. And I, and I know that's true. He's not just yeah, making that up. Yeah. Or the he's he's uh you, you know he, um in in times past, you know he's he's asked me about things, and I knew he had no idea. So uh, that's uh, you're not just uh, pulling my leg there. Where does uh you know tithe means tenth, and uh, of course I can I, I can concur with you as a child. I remember tithing at. Ten cents off of a, a dollar allowance, so that's really where I learned fractions. I guess the beginning of that was as a six-year-old putting a dime. You know, in this the is how you teach your children math. You teach them to tithe. <laughs> teach them. To they tithe. learn ten percent right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, where's the, the word tithe show up in the scripture? I know. You know, Cain and Abel gave offerings, but Cain and Abel gave offerings, and if, if you remember, uh, you know, Cain's offering was not accepted. And it wasn't blessed by the Lord, and that 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 has to, we have to have the assumption there that it's because his heart wasn't in the right place. Whereas Abel, on the other hand, his offering was pleasing to God because his heart was in the right place, and so that was where the jealousy came in between Cain and Abel. Um, and so that's we, we see very early on the instance of offering, but the first time that we see reference to um, a tenth is actually in Genesis chapter fourteen. In verse twenty, where we see that Abram gave a tenth of everything, the last part of that of verse twenty there, um, and and so a tenth that's where we get that from. And then, of course, later in Mosaic law, we have um, the you know the the word tithe, and it, it's kind of based on this, right? So this was before that law, but it was still a tenth, and it was it was not a tenth of what he earned that day. It says he gave a tenth of everything. Mm-hmm. So right. it was kind of retroactive. It was kind of like, God, you blessed me with all of this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I've got. And then I'm, you know, we kind of assume that he continued to give a tenth as as he had increase. Because that's what we see in the Mosaic Law as a tenth of the increase. So it got codified in the law with Moses and the Mosaic Law. I guess they brought their tithes to the festivals, um, which I guess could mean more i mean if you brought a tenth to each festival you know yeah it could or, it could definitely know, be a lot more more than just their yeah. their total their total ties and offerings were way more than 10 percent, and that's another thing that we feel like we're we're just let off the hook if you oh i, I tithe so i write my check for 10 percent, and, and you're done oh, oh well, i give extra above that i, I sent a ten dollar check to you know the the red cross or whatever it, that's not really that there's not a lot of heart in that right but when we see the usage of offerings in the Old Testament, and they use the word free will offering. 
as though it wasn't connected. It wasn't a tithe. It wasn't um, a, an offering that was commanded in another specific way. It was an offering that was truly out of their heart. So when we see that verbiage, that free will offering, we know that it was, I mean, this is somebody whose heart was in the right place. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, just uh, overjoyed with what God had blessed them with or with what God had done for them or how he had healed them. And we see them give this this free will offering and it makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of where I come from when, we, when we're teaching people about money and getting your heart right with God and, and following scripture when it comes to money management, that it's got to start. It's got to start with a tithe, at least. It's got to start there. And um, you can debate. You can debate whether or not uh, somebody that's really deep in debt, whether they have to tithe or whether they should get out of trouble first. Um, and I'm not going to be critical of somebody who's got an argument either way. I've heard, I've heard good arguments on both sides where we get into um, you know, the argument that, well, tithing is technically Old Testament covenant, and we're under the new covenant now, so a tithe isn't required. And God would really prefer that you get yourself out of trouble and you get yourself out of debt and you pay your bills and, and, until you get straightened out, and then you can tithe. You can make that argument. It really depends on how severe it is. And that's where we get into this this old covenant versus new covenant thing, and um, we see examples in the New Testament of where Christ tells us to give, and we see other examples later in the New Testament where we're instructed to give generously. So, someone who would say it's just an Old Testament policy and practice that you know the Levites were. Financed, you know, through the people's tithes and offerings, you know, to the tabernacle and then to the temple. That uh, the Levites also worked as social workers. I mean, they would be the doctors who the lepers would come before. They would be the um, the lawyers who would settle disputes. So, someone might argue that in the Old Testament, your tithe was your tax. You know that that now we we pay taxes. You know for medical benefits and retirement, Social Security, and all these kinds of things. So what would you say to someone who argues that the Old Testament has a, a, a tithe-slash-tax system that ended with Christ, and now in modern society, you know, our, our taxes can cover our tithes? I would say that uh, your heart's not in it. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be overly aggressive with that statement, but I mean, it's true. It's not about the money and what the money does for us. It's about where your heart is. And so when we look at, um, you know, back to Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So if you're making the excuse that, well, I don't need to do that because the government covers and should cover all of these deficiencies in our society, uh, I would say, well, number one, they're doing a terrible job at it, <laughs> you know. Um, but most importantly is tithing and offerings are an opportunity for us to worship. And if we're not using our tithes and offerings to worship the Lord, then we're missing out. We're the ones missing out. God doesn't God doesn't need our money. This is something that he told us to do to help us to get our hearts in the right place. And so we're just missing out. So I, I would say to that individual that thinks that taxes are are – uh, making up for what we should be tithing and we don't have to do that anymore. I'd say, well, they're, they're missing out and yeah. they're going to miss out on that blessing for the rest of their life. As long as they have that attitude. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, churches 
probably started the majority of the universities in America. Um, many of the hospitals still have names of, you know, Baptist this or Catholic, you know, the other. Um, it's kind of interesting that I guess tithes to churches built a lot of these institutions that our government has taken over. And it seems like we have a lot more complaints about how they're being run, sure. perhaps back in the day when the church was in charge. Well, of and, those. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote Pastor John Freem here, um, who's a friend of mine, pastor at Cyprus um, in, in Benton, Louisiana. And um, he, he makes this comment a lot, and I, I think it's great, talking about funding ministries that the church is starting, and, and they're very active. They've got so many things going on, it's hard to even comprehend sometimes. Um, and he says, I know that we've got the money. That's the good thing. The bad thing is it's in your pocket. And so it's and and yep. that's right. I mean, we've got we've got so much power and so many tools at our disposal as a Christian community. But as long as as people are missing out on that opportunity to tithe and to give an offering and as an act of worship, then there are ministries that will never be funded because of because of an individual's refusal to commit to being a good tither and a good giver. I guess as our country becomes more secular and when the God is not the highest power, then government becomes the highest power. Sure. And so people expect politicians to fix problems and, you know, to do uh, these provisions that only can come from God. And, and that's another argument that I've heard people make oftentimes is, well, I, I can't afford to tithe because I have to pay so much in taxes. But there's people that pay tons of money in taxes and they, they, if it, if your heart is heart in, is it, in it, it, you will find a way. And it's, I, I look at it as the, the same as our children. If there's something that we really feel like we want to do for our children, we're going to find a way to do it. If, if your heart is really into tithing and giving and honoring God with what he's blessed you with, you're going to figure out a way to do it. And so I think we start with the, the right behaviors and our heart change kind of comes along the way. Um, and I think that that's acceptable. And so when we look at um, Matthew 23, 23, um, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Hmm. And what he's saying there is, and this is, this is New Testament, Christ is here on earth. He is the new covenant, Right. Amen. And he is saying that you should tithe, but you should get your heart right. So we've we've got to do both. It's not it's not you can't substitute money for your heart, and you can't substitute your heart for your money. It's got to be both. And we know that this is a hard subject. Yeah. We know that it's tough, and that's why so many pastors refuse to teach or preach on it more than maybe once a year. Yeah, I mean, um, why would the inspiration of Christ cause us to do less? You know, I mean, this side of Jesus and his life and his teachings and sacrifice and uh, his resurrection and his descension spiritually into our lives, why would that, you know, motivate us to do less than they did in the Old Testament? And uh, matter of fact, when we get to the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, it talks about everyone selling, um, you know, voluntarily, uh, using their money in community to help any who had needs. So, um, you know, that's not socialism. That's not um, enforced um, shared wealth, but voluntarily they did that. So it's the concept that 
you know, not that we own 90% of our money and God owns 10%, but that he owns everything. Absolutely. And, uh, and he tests us to see if we'll be faithful with the tithe. And then uh, the New Testament church was motivated to, to recognize that, that the Lord, you know, had a, um, that all the possessions belong to him. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that I think people are missing out on. It's it's not it's also not that you can write a check for your ten percent, so you've given your tithe, and now you feel good about yourself, and now I can do whatever I want to with my my other ninety percent. And I, I think that's a that's a shame too that we we can adopt that attitude so easily. The other ninety percent still belongs to him, and you still need to, be, to to take caution with how you choose to spend that ninety percent. And that's where we get into some some really deeper questions. Um, Back to Matthew six twenty one again for where your treasure is there your heart will be also, Pastor Tim. If I were to just ask you, what do you think we treasure the most as a human being? What do you think the answer would be? Well, you know, back in the old days of writing checks, um, you know, I used to say if you look at your checkbook register, you know, you can see what your treasures are by seeing who you're writing your checks to. So, um, so money, yeah, so money, yeah, money is, money one. is uh, mammon and, you know, you, you can only serve one master. Uh, and, and we have, and we have scriptural proof of that too, right? Yeah. So money and the other one is time. Yeah. So when we talk about being a good steward, it's not about us tithing. It's about us being a good steward with a hundred percent of our money, not just the 10. It's a hundred percent of the money. And it's also how we spend our time. I mean, these, these are truly yeah. the things that we treasure. And time it, is it's, money. It's a shame when we look at all the things that steal our attention and steal our money, and we give it up voluntarily. It's not really stealing if we give it up voluntarily. I guess that's a that's a bad word. But we have these distractions that that rob our time, our families of uh, connecting with with each other. Facebook, Twitter, video games, TV, work. Um, if, if you're you know if you live in our area, hunting and fishing. You know, I mean, how many absentee dads are there? Because they're out hunting and fishing by themselves or with their buddies, yeah. and their kids are at home, right? And they're old enough to go hunting or fishing with the dad, mm-hmm. and they would love to. What that means is a sacrifice for that father. You're going to have to sacrifice. Yeah, you may not catch thirty because you're having to, you know, bait your your son or your daughter's hook, and you're having to take extra time with them. And maybe you don't get to stay for six hours. Maybe their attention span's only one hour. But it's, a, it's about a sacrifice. And the same can be true of our time and our money if our heart is in the right place and if we're focused on Christ. Um, we're going to want to give and be responsible with 100% of what we have, n- not just in money but also in time. And, um, you know, we, we can all catch ourselves. I catch myself all the time. I'm on my phone and my daughter starts talking to me, and I don't immediately put it down. And I, I, I should, I should, whatever I'm doing, I should cancel out and, and look her in the eye when she's, when she's talking to me. And uh, I, I'm trying to get better and I'm trying to leave my phone in another room more um, so that I don't see it and I don't get those notifications. And, um, and it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it, it really is. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be difficult for us. Um, but we've got to, we've got to institute some practices in our lives in order for this to, to take root. And tithing is one of those practices. But, you know, um, it would be great if our hearts were in the right place initially. And, and every tithe that we gave and every offering that we gave, our heart was in the right place. Um, but just because it's not doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it starts with a habit. 
Uh, you behave the way you want to feel, and then that emotion, that feeling typically catches up with what you, you know, and, and Jesus says it's where your your um, heart is, that's where your treasure will be. We would say it the other way around, where your treasure is, that's where, you, so, you know, it has to do with what you, I, I said that backwards, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So what we name is our our priority ultimately captures our heart. So, so the behavior precedes the the feeling. Right. Yeah. Good point. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I hear this a lot. Um, there is this aspect of uh, ministry that is uh, that, that goes this direction of what we call prosperity gospel. And uh, you and I have talked about this numerous times, which is this idea that uh, the more we give God, the more He's going to give us. Because it, you, you reap what you sow. So if you if you you know if you sow money, you're going to reap money. And um, I think it's really unfortunate that that's the attitude that people have. And it's so easy for us to turn that into, well, I'm going to give so I can get more. And it, it's so hard to separate those two. Um, and so I, I really wish that the, the wordage or the verbiage there um, pastors would take when they're, when they're preaching on you reap what you sow and, and, and on tithing and, and never being able to outgive God. I wish that they focused on the heart and, and not on that you're going to get anything. And there is scripture that says that we're blessed because of, you know, and God even says, test me on this, right? If we look at Malachi uh, three verses seven through 12, um, you know, he gives us this promise that he'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you. That's without measure. He doesn't say that it's money that is necessarily the blessing. He just says, that he will pour out a blessing. And he says, test me on this. And I think that's where we have to be is we have to be willing. You know what? Hey, God is exactly who he says he is. And if he says to test him, then I dare you. I dare you to, to tithe and then to give above your tithe and give generously and to give offerings to things that you think would please God uh, and that you do this out of an act of worship. I dare you to test him and see what happens and see if you don't have a hard change. Um, and if you don't believe me, look at Malachi 3, 7 through 12 there. You know, um, visiting Bible lands like in the, the the Greek Empire, it was interesting just seeing ruins of temples that were built to Greek gods. And of course, they believed that you know the gods lived in the mountains, and if they could build these great temples, it might coax the do- gods to come off the mountaintop to come down to where they lived, and so they would bring these gifts before the gods. Uh, it was all transactional, you know, just like we go to the marketplace and we took, put down some money and we take vegetables home with us. They were trying to, to curry or buy God's, the God's favor. And so they looked at offerings as transactional in nature. But you're saying that, that the giving of, of a gift and an offering to our God is transformational. Exactly. You know, it has to do with your relationship with him and it's not um, you're buying his favor, but it comes from your heart, and that pastors should lead heart bypass procedures up to surgeons. <laughs> you know, exactly. We, we need to engage the heart. You know, when it comes to our giving, and it's, and, um, it's the same argument that that we have, right? I mean, God doesn't need our money. There, right. there is no transaction that occurs here. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need us. He wants us, and he he doesn't need our money. He wants our money. Not because he wants to use it, but he because because he wants our heart, and he knows that as we give of our money, we're giving more and more of our heart as an act of worship. 
Um, and none of that is going to save us. I mean, you can give every dime you have to the Lord and it's not going to save you. Right. It's that relationship that saves you. And, and so we, we see this paralleling here, um, with throughout the Bible, old Testament and new Testament. When we, when we see the giving, um, and how close it is and how much of a struggle it is, the, the story of the rich young ruler, so on and so forth. I mean, there's just story after story about how difficult money is as a subject for God and why he gave us so many verses and so much advice about it. It's interesting as I reflect back over 40 years of pastoring that I don't know that I can remember, or it's exceptional if when it happens when the church has to help out a tither financially. I mean, it's interesting, you know, looking back that, I've never thought very, about that very few times can I remember a regular tither asking the church to help out with a utility bill. And I'm sure that happens, but uh, while it is about the heart and it is about, you know, transformation and relationship, it does seem to create within a person either habits on spending or whatnot that enables him to pay his bills and Certainly that provision does come from God. So that's not the purpose in giving, but it seems to be the byproduct. That Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I would add, um, just kind of the, to the course of, of this conversation, as we, uh, we talk about being a good steward, we talk about tithing and, and offering, um, it's really sad to me to see the financial condition of so many congregations. And, and it's, it's a couple of things. But if we really knew the numbers of what percentage of professing Christians, people who say that they are a believer, that they're born again, if we, if we see, if we knew that number for certain, I think it would shock us in a bad way. Mm-hmm. That, you know, okay, if, 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 if 90, let's just say 90% of the people who attend church regularly say that they're a Christian, mm-hmm. all right? And the other 10% go, well, I just go because my spouse goes or because my parents are dragging me or whatever. Um, that's not a real number. I'm just making this up. Right. So then of that 90% that are professing to be Christians, t- Pastor Tim, what do you think uh, as a percentage of, of, of those actually give a, a tithe? What do you call it? The Pareto principle? Pareto principle that 20% of the people do 80% of the work and give 80% of the money. So, you know, that, that probably... You follow would, along Yeah, the lines. 20% rule. Okay. Of those who are not of the non-resident membership, but of those who are active, I would right. guess 20%. Which is, I mean, obviously, we can't destroy God's church. He created it. It's it's his. But what we are seeing is we are seeing uh, ministries to uh, not be able to finance the things that they want to finance. We're seeing um, <clears throat> missionaries come home from foreign countries because they lost funding. And they're in a country that's not financially stable and they have lots of challenges and it's not like they can stay over there and keep working because there's inherent danger in some of these places. And, um, you know, it all, it all takes money. And it's, it's a shame to think that people, we, the people are so self-centered that we put our retirement or our comfort ahead of something as important as the gospel. I got another question for you. I know this is, I'm supposed to be answering questions here, but that's, that's all right. I, I had another yep. question for you. What do you think um, going forward 
as we have now been through the coronavirus and are still going through the coronavirus. We've had this dramatic reduction in attendance of churches. Um, we're seeing transitions in the Methodist church where um, there's there's divisions because of differences in what they believe about uh, gay and lesbian uh, pastors. And we're seeing all of these things that are tearing congregations apart. Do you think that money at some point is going to tear congregations apart? Actually, I think that God's going to do more with less. You know, that we're going to be left with a remnant church. Um, the quantity may be down in terms of the the gifts, but, you know, the quality that can come from it, I think, is going to be greater because of this heart issue that you've talked about. But um, I do think that um, there will be some practical things that may come from the shrinking of the size of congregations in America. It may be that more pastors will have to be bivocational or, you know, have their income come from a source other than, you know, than tithes and offerings. But um, it may even become illegal, you know, like in other countries, you know, for um, for uh, for that to even work. Um, I think we'll probably see the loss of a tax break and some of these things come from liberal policies that our, our country's headed towards. So, but all these things will only separate the, the wheat from the chaff. And, uh, you know, I was talking to... Uh, uh, a pastor from Bulgaria. Um, he was president of the, the Bulgarian Baptist Convention, and this was about 15, 20 years ago. And he had pastored under communism, and he said that it was a whole lot easier to pastor a, a church under communism than under free Bulgaria because of um, the cheap grace and the uh, the hypocrisy and the um, um, you know, the lack of purity of those who came to a free church as opposed to those under communism who were very serious about their faith. And he had been in and out of prison. He'd had a daughter that was in prison for her faith. So um, I think we're going to, you know, we are going to see a real decline. I think we're, we could probably say that we're in post-Christian America now. But yeah, the Bible, Obama said that, and I think it's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it, right. But, um, <laughs> but the Bible was written, you know, for the church to be alien to its culture. So sure. I think um, it's going to be the best and worst of times moving forward, whether you're talking about finances or, or anything, you know, in the life of a church. Here's the good news, folks. We get a We get a test from the Lord on our money and our faithfulness and whether or not we love him. And that test comes every time we get a paycheck. And if you failed in the past, it doesn't matter. There's a time to repent and you turn away and you start that behavior that you know in your heart is right, that you've, for whatever reason, decided that it wasn't important in your life or that it wasn't needed. I'm going to tell you, it's not the churches that need it. We are the ones that need it. We need the tithe as an individual in order to get our finances in order. Amen. And if you're able to tithe, then you're able to get the blessing from it. And, and that is, once again, that is the blessing. And so if you failed at this in the past, don't beat yourself up about it. Forget about it. Move on. Your next paycheck, you can start, you can start anew. And that's the wonderful thing about the Lord that we serve is that um, he forgives and, you know, he puts your sin, uh, how does the Bible say it, as, as far as the east is from the west, uh, away from you, and you can start down the right path. And he says to test him in this matter. And so I'm, I'm challenging you, folks. If you're not a tither and you're not a giver, 
I'm, I'm challenging you, according to Malachi 3, 7 through 12. Take the challenge and start anew and put the Lord God to your test in this way. And that's, that's what he says, not me. Um, cause later on he, you know, he tells the devil not to test him, you know, not to, not to test the Lord, but he's saying, it's okay to test me in this way. Bring me your tithes, bring me your offerings and see if I don't pour out a blessing on you. And, uh, don't think that it's going to happen immediately. If you write a check, don't, don't think that, um, tomorrow <laughs> that, that you're going to automatically feel that blessing. It, it, these things take time. And, um, it is, it is truly one of my, my greatest joys every time that I, I, I get the opportunity to give. Um, to a ministry, it is truly one of my greatest joys. And I feel like it's part of my purpose of why I'm here. And, uh, you, you know, we often take this attitude that, well, I would give more if I had more. Um, if you're waiting on that, you're, you're missing out. Um, give what you can give and let the blessing come from that in and of itself. Now, that's a good word. A uh, quick story. Um, you know, as a pastor, it's both a burden and a blessing to be financed, to you know, have your salary financed by tithes and off- offering. Um, when we started Open Door Fellowship as a mission with a small core group, I remember one of our, our first meetings and um, I was leaving, a, you know, a salary behind, I thought, you know, to start our church. And I remember suggesting to our core group that I looked to raise my support, you know, outside of tithes and offerings. And to a, a person, they said, no, it's it would be a privilege for us, you know, to give and help finance your offering. And uh, they voted that small group to continue the salary that I had at my previous church. And it was, um, you know, I rejoiced, but it was also, you know, a burden on me. But it was, it was a, a burden that came out of gratitude toward the generosity of this group. And when, you know, I live out a day where I don't feel like I've been a good steward with my time, I think, you know, I'm, I'm living on God's money. You know, people are giving money to the Lord, and, um, and, and most of these folks, I think, have your heart and that they're giving for the right reasons. But, you know, the, the practical aspect of their gifts is that many of it, much of it comes to me in salary form. And so... I'm sort of like the the successor of the Levites, you know, God has a plan, you know, to finance his ministers and his ministries, but, you know, there's a real real sense of um, of stewardship and, you know, a burden of stewardship on our part to, um, you know, to, to put in the time and, and to be faithful, and I think that's a, a push and a pull that's healthy in a congregation that, you know, ideally the congregation is given as though they're giving unto the Lord. And the pastor's receiving as though he's receiving for the Lord and um, and seeks to be that mediator, you know, and that intercessor and that person that stands as a priest between God and man and, and is faithful, you know, to the task. So I've, um, um, you know, in the, in the back of my mind, I've always thought and fantasized about making money outside of ministry that would give me a nest egg that would prevent and keep the congregation from having to support me. But that's self-centered. That's a self-centered, ego-centered, you know, approach to ministry. And and really, I need to wrap my mind around the idea that God wants to bless me through his congregation, and he has. And, uh, And I don't see people, you know, very many in our church that are giving in order to have authority or power over me that 
you know, I've given you, given the church a gift, and that means I can... Even though in some uh, congregations, I'm sure yeah, that some, does happen. That, that and it has happened in the past, but, um, you know, what a what a sweet harmony that we have in our church. And, and uh, it's just been amazing. We've been like the widow whose might... Um, has supplied the needs uh, of our congregation and our mission um, priorities. Kind of like the uh, the widow of Sarepta, you know, who had enough meal, you know, and enough um, oil for one more meal, for um, you know, meal for one more M E A L meal for her and her son, and also Elijah. You know, that's been the the story of our church in the seven years that we've been in we've existence. Had enough. You know, we've always had enough, and and it keeps us. Focused on the the provision of God and, and keeping ourselves dependent upon Absolutely. Him. And I'll, I'll share a quick story here before we go. Um, for years, we played golf in Texarkana at a, at a, a place. Um, Stonehaven, I believe, was the name of the, the, the country club that was there that we played golf at. And there was an older gentleman that was there, and um, we, we frequently interacted with him. Um, he would either be playing by himself or there'd be three of us, and he'd be our fourth. And uh, he's just a wonderful uh, a wonderful gentleman, and uh, he actually played really good golf at, at 80 years old. And uh, he couldn't hit the ball very far, but he hit it straight, you know. And uh, <clears throat> he 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 actually always played better golf better than I did, you know. And um, but he had a little saying that he he would say every once in a while when he sank a putt, uh, particularly a long putt. He would say, "Well, I paid the preacher last week." And that, and that was, you know, and he, he was yeah. joking, of course, but, uh, you, you know, it was, it, it's, it's kind of this old tradition that we have in our brains. Like, well, I'm going to write my check so we can pay the preacher. And really that's a poor attitude because like you said, uh, and what, what the attitude that we need to have is that we're giving to the Lord and not paying a preacher and not funding the church or paying the utility bills at the church building that we're giving to the Lord. And um, it's always going to be enough, Amen. Because God can make anything out of anything. When I pastored down in Bunky, and we had a lot of farmers, and you know they would jokingly say, um, you know, preacher, we're in a drought. You know, you need to do your job. And my response was, Hey, I'm in sales and not management. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to us. Um, uh, next topic, I don't even know what it's going to be, but I, I bet it's going to be interesting and it'll be fun for us. I hope that you're enjoying this and y'all have a blessed day.